So we are continuing our series this morning called Gospel Impact on the book of Philippians. Uh, So Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. What did it mean for the people at the church at Philippi? And then what does that mean for us today? How does the gospel impact our lives? So I will be preaching from Philippians 2, 15 and 16. Uh, If you have like the YouVersion app, I preach out of the English Standard Version. And uh, so we have two verses to cover, but let me set some uh, surrounding context. So this passage in Philippians starts in in verse uh, 27 of chapter 1, where Paul says, Hey, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul understands these people live in Rome, they live in Philippi. Uh, But he's saying, you have citizenship not only here, but you have citizenship up in heaven. So your citizenship in heaven, this is how it should look. Your manner of life should look like this. And then starting in chapter 2, he calls the people to humility. He says, be of the same mind, be on the same page, be of one accord, work shoulder to shoulder together, and do that through humility. Then in 2, 5 through 11... He gives the example of Christ, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture where he talks about Christ, how he came to earth, he was fully God, fully man, his incarnation, that he lived a life on earth, he lived a life as a servant, as a slave, he died a brutal death being crucified on a cross, but then Jamie got up here and preached that Christ is ultimately glorified, that he sits now ruling and reigning over the earth. So be like Christ, be humble. And then Pastor Steve got up and talked about working out our salvation. Paul tells the people, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not like be trembling that you can lose your salvation, but what does your life look like? What's your spiritual formation look like? What does your sanctification look like? How do you work out your salvation in the midst of the people? And then, yes, last week, Pastor Steve got up and he started just giving Paul's example of what does it mean, what's the example of working out your salvation? So for this morning, the whole point is living out the gospel and sharing the gospel. Those two things are are two sides of the same coin. Those are the same exact thing. You live out the gospel, you have to show it by your conduct, but you also show it by your words. You 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 communicate the gospel in two different ways. And Paul's concern is how the gospel is infiltrating the people of Philippi. And how his church that he planted at Philippi is working together to push the gospel forward in a dark area. So last week, Pastor Steve shared verse 14 that says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, which I think hit the nail on the head for all of us. And then in verse 15, Paul says, you know, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation whom you shine as lights in the world. So his whole advice is do all things without grumbling or disputing. But why? What's the purpose of doing that? The purpose of doing all things without grumbling or disputing is so that the church could be blameless, so that they can be innocent, that they can be without blemish. Paul expects the people in his church to have a standard of high character with how they interact with one another. That's a big deal to Paul. And it's interesting because he says you're in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's why their appearance was important. So they, they, they operated in the context of Philippi. So back in Philippi, Christianity wasn't necessarily exploding. It was a marginalized religion. You couldn't go across the street in Philippi without running into some sort of uh, temple or, or shrine set up to a foreign god. The number one religion in Philippi was the imperial cult 
where you were basically told you need to bow down to the emperor, bow down to the ruler, and if you didn't, you were marginalized in society. That's how the church, that's the context the church is operating in. But also the church wasn't perfect. Shocker, right? The church had some issues. Remember in Philippians 4.2, Paul says, I entreat Yodia and Synthache to agree in the Lord. Yodia and Synthache were two women in the church that were grumbling. They were disputing. They weren't getting along. And Paul's saying, hey, the grumbling that you two are doing, it's destroying the church. So he says, be blameless. Do all these things, the purpose, be blameless, be innocent, be without blemish. In a crooked and twisted generation, because you're to shine as lights in the world. That's the goal. That's the goal of not grumbling. That's the goal of not complaining, is so that we can shine as lights in the world. Philippi would have been like a port town, so a lot of sailors would have come from there. So literally, they weren't guided by GPS in their boats at night. They would have to look up at the stars in the dark sky. One smallest star would not only shine the sky, but it would point them in the right direction. That's the analogy Paul's using here. And then in verse 16, Paul says, Do this by holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He says, hold fast to the word of life. That's the way. So the way that we do things without grumbling or complaining, the means that we do things without grumbling or complaining, is to hold fast to the word of life, to hold fast, to grasp, to stick to, to be mindful, to be observant of. Remember Paul's prayer in, in, in Philippians 1.27, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm, holding fast, right? Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul sees the church and he sees it's crucial for the church to hold firm to purity in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's important. And then Paul, oddly, he brings himself into it in verse 16. He says, hold fast to the word of life. So like at the end of the day, in the day of Christ, like I am not standing there running in vain or laboring in vain. And when I first read that, I thought that's kind of weird for Paul to just like interject himself. He's telling the people what to do, but is it about Paul? Paul's keeping a very clear view on the day of Christ, and Paul sees like his ministry that's gone forward to this church matters. And we have to understand that Paul is burdened by the context of the church and by the conduct of the church. Paul's writing this letter in prison. He's far away from the people. He planted this church, and then he gets sent off to prison. And Paul yearns for his friends. He probably hears of this argument between these two women. He yearns to be with them, to be able to instruct them. And he sees the close connection between their actions and his life. And Paul says, I want to make sure that when I stand before Christ, my life meant something. That I didn't run that race in vain, that I didn't labor in vain. So Paul's whole point is, he wants to keep a clear view of his call. Paul keeps a clear view of his call, even though he's in prison, even though he's planning churches. That's what Paul was doing. And his whole point is, living out the gospel and sharing the gospel are one and the same. You show the gospel through your actions. So there's a quote, it's like attributed to Francis of Assisi, I think. It's, uh, 
Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And every time I've ever heard that in a, in a sermon, like the preacher's like making fun of that quote. Like, well, you have to use words to, to preach the gospel, which is 100% true. But we also communicate the gospel through our actions. Through the way that we act, through the way that we talk to each other. For those of you that have friends who are far from Christ, you may be the only representation of Jesus Christ that they ever see. So our actions mean something. And I think we have to carry that out. We have to think of, of three different things. And the first thing is we have to look at ourselves. When we carry the gospel forward, as we're called to do, the first thing you have to do is kind of look in the mirror. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7 Uh, The prophet Isaiah, he prophesies a word from the Lord. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. That's the calling of the Lord to believers. He's guaranteeing, he's saying like, hey, I've called you in righteousness, but I'll hold your hand. You don't have to be afraid. I'll take your hand and and get you through it. But the covenant that I've made with my people is that you're to be a light to the nations. You're to be a light in darkness. You're to be a light in a crooked and perverse generation. And we're supposed to open the eyes of people who are blind, bring the prisoners out of the dungeons, bring those people out of the emotional and spiritual prisons that they're in. That's what we're called to be as the people of God. Isaiah 49, 6, it goes on to say, he says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. So Paul would have known that verse as he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And he's saying, look, You're not only supposed to reach the people around you here at church, you're supposed to be a light no matter where you're at. And I think the first thing that we have to understand is like complaining never wins the culture. Grumbling or complaining is never going to win the culture. And I read this passage trying to think, okay, what's this communicating? And I think it simply communicates that the Philippians, they were operating within a context just like we do. We get up every day and we live in Goodyear, we live in Litchfield Park, Avondale. If you're blessed by God, you live in Buckeye. It's right. But we operate in context. We operate in context at our home, at our job, here at church, in relationships. When we go places, we operate. The Lord's put us in all these different contexts. And if we're not careful, the first thing Christians, the first thing the church does, is we like to run to these like known dangers of our faith, right? The known dangers, the the moral revolution that we're in, the social revolution that we're in, the attack that's constantly on our faith, the the attack on the sanctity of marriage, of sexuality, uh, the right to life, babies being murdered, all these things that we run to, we defend, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's interesting to me that we like to run to the known dangers and defend those when there's an unknown danger right in front of us. Think about it. In chapter 2, Paul's given this beautiful example of Christ and how we should be like Christ. And then he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he gives one item to do. It's not read the Bible and figure out everything you can. Get all this knowledge in your head. What's the thing he says? Do all things without grumbling or complaining. And I think for a lot of us, we look at the culture around us and instead of making impact in the culture, instead of being change in the culture, we complain about it. 
It's really hard to joyfully and consistently proclaim the gospel when all you do is complain about the mission field where the Lord has placed you. We have to understand complaining never wins the culture. The second thing is we have to just be ordinary in our actions. So I think for some of us, we figure out, okay, we're Christians, we have to live radical. We have to be different. We have to look different, we have to act different, we have to smell different, we have to do all these things. I have to, I need to sell my home and buy an RV and move across country and not wear shoes or whatever. We have to be radical. I read a book and that fires me up. But like at the end of the day, like most gospel ministry just involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. It's the intentionality that we miss. We all get up. We're ordinary people doing ordinary things, but we lose the gospel intentionality. The church doesn't need to move through super Christians in order to be effective. The gospel spreads through just regular people. It's funny to me, I, I came on staff in May, and uh, I've never worked at a church. Like, a church has never paid me, I should say. Uh, I've always been on staff at a church. This is the first time I've, I've ever worked at a church. I get up every day, and it's my job. And uh, I've been asked the question a lot of times, well, Michael, how do you like working in full-time ministry? And I, like, laugh when people ask me that, because, like, I'm in full-time ministry. Okay, here's what I did before. I would wake up every morning at like 5 a.m. and I'd go into an office where I'd work with unbelievers. I'm standing shoulder to shoulder doing work with unbelievers, just like you guys do every single day. Now I get up every morning and the first thing I do at work is I pray and then I hang out with like theologians all day, okay? I'm not really in full-time ministry. You guys are the ones in full-time ministry. We're all called to context, so be aware of who are you in your context? How are you operating in that context? What does your ministry look like? And then thirdly is to know the power of your tongue. So one commentator suggests that the heart of Paul's concern in writing this letter is that that private disagreement between those two women was the danger of spilling over into the public place. It was in danger of completely destroying that church. And we act like we don't have issues like that, right? The reality is like how we act as Christians toward each other speaks volumes to the unbelievers around us. How we talk about each other, how we talk to each other. In James 1.19 it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. How often do we reverse that? We're quick to anger, we're quick to speak, but we're really slow to hear. In Proverbs 21.23 it says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. That's a proverb. Like the way that we talk to each other, the way we talk about each other, the way we talk about the church it does one of two things. It either builds up and edifies or it tears down. And that issue of grumbling, complaining, and an argumentative nature was in threat to destroy the church at Philippi. So we have to look at ourselves, but then next we have to look to others. Paul, Paul's whole goal is to boast in the actions of the church. He wants to get to the end of the day and be able to, to look at Christ and point to the Philippian church and say, look at how they carried out their faith in a crooked and twisted generation. And the first way you do that is you have to commit to evangelize. So I know the word evangelism, for some of us, that makes like our skin crawl, the thought of like going to a park and sharing the gospel with a stranger. Um, for me, the question is like, is your heart burdened for the lost? I had coffee with a guy this week and uh, I was telling him where I was planting my church and he's like, are you sure you wanna plant your church in Verado? Like, don't you know that's like a super, super uh, gospel saturated area? And I just looked at him and I said, well, 
Yeah, there might be like a, a couple churches there, but at the end of the day, this morning, I live in a block with 19 houses. And this morning, there's one house that woke up to go to church on my block of 19 houses. One out of the 19. It was my house. So like the other 18 don't get up and go to church. They don't worship. 85% of Verado would say they don't even believe in God, nor do they go to church. Don't tell me that's not an area that's burdened. But here's the thing. Church planting is going to be hard. I'm going to get years down the road. There's going to be difficulty. Setting up chairs, doing all these things are going to be hard. Ministry is going to be hard. But at the end of the day, it's the burden for the lost that's going to have to keep me going. You know, we have these boards over here, the 1250, the 1250 goal. We have a goal as a church by 2022 to see 1,250 people come to Christ through our evangelism efforts. And back in January, Pastor Steve preached on that goal. And this is before I was on staff. I sit right over there at the 930 service. And he said, hey, if you know anybody in your life that needs the gospel, those boards were all throughout the auditorium with markers attached to them. He said, go write their names down. And so I felt convicted in that moment, and I got up with my wife, and Kristen and I walked over there, and we wrote two names on that board, and it's the second board in. And now I'm on staff here. Every single Thursday morning, we'll stand right over here, and we pick one board, and we pray intentionally over the names on those boards. We pray literally, just go down the list of names like, Lord, would you just burden these people's heart for the gospel? The people who wrote their names down, would you give them opportunities to share Send them a commercial on the radio that makes them think of you. Anything, God, to soften these people's heart. And it's interesting because now that I'm on staff, those two names I have down, they're not Christians. I haven't done anything. I should be like Captain Evangelism, right? I'm on staff here. And God started to burden my heart. Michael, what are you doing to share the gospel of the people who you wrote down? And I started to pray, Lord, give me opportunity. Give me opportunity to talk to these people. The two names I have written down, I don't think this is a mistake. Tomorrow night, I'm going to the Suns game with one of them. And the other one, she works at the Fries on Litchfield and Camelback, randomly finds my wife and I this weekend on Facebook, messages my wife that she wanted to grab coffee with her on Wednesday morning. Here's the thing. If our hearts are truly burdened, for the lost in the context that we operate in and we pray for gospel opportunity, you better have your eyes open because the Lord's gonna bring those opportunities. So we have to commit to evangelize, but we have to commit to discipleship. Our Christian walk just isn't like out in the community, it's here at church. One of my professors in college would always say, who's your Paul, who's your Timothy? Who's speaking into your life and whose life are you speaking into? But I think a lot of us, we're, we're apprehensive to be discipled by anybody, either because it's like, well, I'm not godly enough to disciple anybody, or, or that person's not godly enough to disciple me. But you don't need a seminary degree, you don't need a PhD in theology to just simply meet with another believer, to encourage them in their love for the Lord, to pray with each other, to sing with each other, to confess sin with each other. The Lord has called us not only to the people around us, but the people within us. The church and the community has to be a focus. We have to evangelize and we have to disciple. The last thing is we have to look to the future. Uh, in the book of Daniel, uh, Paul would have wrote this letter knowing this, this passage. And this is uh, a lot of commentators think what Paul says, shine as stars in the sky. Uh, he's pulling this from Daniel 12.3. And Daniel's an Old Testament book. It's a heavy apocalyptic book. And Daniel's explaining the end times and it says, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, 
and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We have to look to the future. We have to understand that that's what we're called to do. That at the end of the day, that should be our goal. Our goal should be to shine like the brightness of the sky above. Our goal should be to turn as many people to righteousness as we possibly can. And we get to shine like the stars forever and ever. So last, uh, last summer, I was gaining weight. My, my wife was pregnant. I gained more weight than my wife uh, every time she's pregnant for some reason. Um, and I, I went up the stairs one day, and I was out of breath. And I, I looked at her, I was like, Kristen, i got to figure something out. It was the heaviest I'd ever been. And uh, I told her, I need to get in better shape. And it, the weather was cooling down, uh, so I decided to start running. Okay, that's a good way to lose weight, just start running. And if you live in Verado, uh, you know that anytime you run in Verado, you're always running uphill. I have no idea why. Uh, you think you get a downhill, you don't. So I told Kristen, I said, okay, I need to get a date on the calendar. I need to have accountability. Uh, I said, I'm going to sign up for a race. And she's like, a race? I go, yes, like without anybody chasing me, I'm just going to go run a race. So I get on Google, and I Google like races in my area. And I see uh, the first one that screams out at me at uh, the beginning of December was the Buckeye Marathon. I didn't run the marathon, okay? Don't get too excited. Nor did I run the half marathon. I settled for the 10K, okay? And if you, I know we're in America, that's 6.2 miles that I had to go run. And so I know a lot of you, if you're a runner, you're like laughing at me right now, like, dude, that's not even far. But I finished, okay? I got done with that race. Here's me at the finish line. You know, most people like take a picture of their uh, finisher medal and they're all happy. I had just like vomited like 40 feet back. Um, I finished. I got second in my age group. Yeah. Thank you. There were two people in my age group. I'm kidding. There were like six people in my age group. Um, and the guy who finished right in front of me, like no joke, from like here to that chair, he was in my age group. And I wish I would have said like, bro, how old are you, 30 to 35? Because I would have hawked him and gotten first. <laughs> but here's the thing, it's funny and stuff, but like I, I signed up for the Buckeye 10K. And if you've been to Buckeye, I almost named my church Empty Fields Church, because it's just like a bunch of ugly, empty fields. Um, this, this marathon, 10K, takes place. If you drive to L.A. and get halfway there, you're going to hit this road called Palo Verde Road. And if you didn't know, Buckeye has an airport, not like a commercial airport. It's like one-seater plane airport. And this 10K starts at the airport. You take off, you hang a sharp left, and you run down Palo Verde Road. And you're just like running, and it's the desert. You're literally running on a street. The desert's on both sides. It's the ugliest run you can ever do. That's the run I did. But you go up over I-10, and then you run about a mile further, and then you're halfway. You're at 3.1 miles. You turn around at 3.1 miles, and you have to basically run back to where you came from. You're running back to the airport. But what's interesting is it was a clear day, and I'm 3.1 miles from my goal, and I'm looking off into the distance. My calf feels like it's about to explode, and I see the finish line. I can see the finish line. It's 3.1 miles away, Michael. Just keep running, keep running, keep running. 
And that's what Paul's encouraging the people at Philippi to do. He's saying, look, you're going to run. The race of life is difficult. You're tired. There's things around you all the time that are distracting you. There's crookedness. There's evil around you that's going to knock you off course. But Paul's saying, you have to run so you're not running the race in vain. That the things around you aren't a distraction. That Paul, his ministry is done seeing the finish line. Seeing the day of Christ in context of who he's witnessing to. That's what we have to do. And we have to keep the finish line in sight. We have to understand what we're called to do as unbelievers. That in the race of life, like think about it. A lot of you are going to sit in a couple weeks and have Thanksgiving dinner with your family. And probably one of those family members doesn't know the gospel. Our whole challenge in life is to run that race, keep the finish line in sight. Like Jamie got up here and preached about how we're going to get to worship in heaven. Let's not make heaven a thing for us where we just want it all about us. How big of a house can I have? It should be like my neighbors better be there too. So ask yourself, as the band comes up, we're going to sing one more song. And as we sing this song, we're going to just sing the fact that it's Jesus' power that sends us forward in the earth Think about the context that you're in, and I challenge us as a church to audibly share the gospel to the broken around us.